What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grow It, and this is Garden Talk, episode one. Since this is the first episode, let me tell you a little bit about what my vision is for this podcast and a little bit about me. My vision for this podcast is to talk with growers from all over the world, both beginners and experts, and seek to learn more about what they know about gardening. I'm not going to judge people for the way that they grow, and this isn't a debate. I'm simply seeking to learn more about the guest and what they know about gardening and how they do things in their garden. My vision is for these conversations to not only help expand my knowledge, but you, the listener's knowledge too. A little bit about me, I have been growing for 11 years now and have experimented with several different growth styles and processes. I believe in continuous improvement and continuous education. I'm currently pushing myself to learn more chemistry, plant physiology, and soil biology. I am an author. I wrote a book on indoor growing for beginners called Seven Steps to Grow Cannabis. I also have a website, mrgrow.com, and have two YouTube channels where I have nearly 200,000 subscribers combined. So video production is probably what I'm most known for. But all in all, I'm just a guy who loves to grow plants. There is so much to learn when it comes to horticulture, and I hope you will join me listening in on Garden Talk so we can both expand our knowledge in this passion. This episode's guest is Rob from Cannabis Lifestyle TV. He is a cannabis content creator with over 120,000 subscribers on YouTube alone. He has several different shows and live streams all over the internet and also has a website, CannabisLifestyleTV.com. Today we talk specifically about feeding bottled nutrients, the way I do it and the way he does it. This episode currently has over 207,000 views on YouTube and there's been an overwhelming amount of people that have commented on that video talking about the value it has brought to them. I now hope you enjoy it on this platform. Let's get into it. All right, so what's up, Rob? We got Rob here. How you doing? Pretty good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Cool, cool. Let's talk about feeding nutrients. So there's so many different ways to do it. Um, I grow in soil. I grow in cocoa core. I know you've also grown in soil and cocoa core. You've done DWC as well, you mentioned. Um, On this video, we're just going to focus on soil and cocoa core. We'll maybe we'll start with soil. And then we'll talk about some of the techniques you do, like starting from the beginning, um, how you do your feeding, and I'll chime in as we go along and kind of say how I, I how I do things, uh, and then yeah, we'll go from there. Absolutely, man. Cool. Yeah. So, um, what what do you use, typically use for soil? Do you use a specific brand or or what? So, what I was using soil, I would use ninety um, percent of the time. I was using this Potter's Gold, which is a Michigan-based blend, but it's pretty comparable not not verbatim but it's pretty comparable to a fox farm ocean forest so it's kind of like a pre-amended medium uh what's nice with that you know for me especially is i can water earlier on when i first initially put my seeds in or my clones in i don't have to worry so much about feeding heavy at that point now when using soil like that's attractive for me because it's kind of like uh i wouldn't say a totally amended medium but it's going to give you what you need early on and it's been something that when i know a lot of people who will use like the fox farm trio with that it works pretty well but if you're using something that is amended when you're adding nutrients in, I've seen burning of the plants, especially the finicky strains. Like my headbanger is so damn finicky, it burns if you add anything extra to it. Got it. Yeah, I use Fox Home Ocean Forest soil. That's my main soil that I use. And yeah, like you said, it's amended with nutrients. It already has nutrients in it, so I don't need to feed any additional nutrients 
on top of that um, for the first 20 to 40 days or so. Um, it also depends on how often you transplant up, right? So I usually start in a solo cup for my photo period plants and I'll transplant up into either a one gallon container or I'll go into my final final container, which is like a three gallon or a five gallon. And once I'm transplanting up, it's got that fresh soil in there, right? Which is amended with nutrients. So I can hold off on feeding any bottled nutrients because um, you know that soil has nutrients in it that's eaten away at. Um, so I usually start feeding bottled nutrients around day 30 is what I usually say, day 30, day 40. Is that kind of about the same for you? Yeah, yeah. The only thing that I do in between then is sometimes I'll do a little bit of molasses or something to help feed the microbes in there and try to add a little bit in there. Sometimes I'll even amend a little bit with some uh, great white even, add you know mycorrhizae in there additionally, especially when I'm transplanting into the mix. How much molasses do you use? On average, like usually half a teaspoon per gallon and do it once a week. Okay. And at, the, at that point, I was just doing just molasses and water. Got it. Okay, I do about one tablespoon per gallon of water for yeah. molasses. I was doing a lot more initially at a headbag. The, the headbagger, in particular, this headbagger that I've grown, it's a biker kush crossed with um, sour diesel from Karma Genetics. One of my favorite strains by far. If you watch Lifestyle TV, I've talked about it 100,000 times. Um, that strain is so damn finicky, man. Like, it seems like I need to give low dosages of everything, even with molasses, which I've never seen my plants act weird with molasses. But it seems like as it's uh, opening up, having those microbes being fed more and it's helping the plant eat more, it's like it's too much for that that plant in particular, not with my Wi-Fi OG and not with my 11 roses. That I can go a little bit harder, you know, three teaspoons or a tablespoon, obviously, that no issue. But it's only with that headbanger, which is my main strain I grow. Yeah, that's a good call. Those different genetics are going to act differently as far as like nutrient uptake. Um, so I had mentioned, you know, 30 days before I start feeding. Well, some strains might might not need uh, that soon. I could yeah. stretch out longer. So genetics is going to be a big variable there on when to start feeding. So that's a great call out. Um, so what do you use for nutrients, base nutrients? Um, I'm really digging Humble Secret. That's what I've been using for a while. It's not as known really in the mainstream side. It seems like they're more like direct sale. But um, I've been using their base nutrients for a long time. Just recently, I ran um, Emerald, Emerald Harvest. Yeah, Emerald Harvest, um, but along with Golden Tree as well. So that's like their all-in-one additive. It's got kelp, amino acids, um, a bunch of other shit in it, actually. they kind of It's a little bit of a proprietary secret sauce that they don't really share everything in it. That's the only thing I'm not a huge fan of. But it's uh, been one of the things that you can replace almost the entire advanced nutrients line with just the one bottle. You need your base nutrients and that, and you really are all set. Now, the only thing I add to it additionally, again, is some mycorrhizae I'm using at the moment, Recharge. Before I was using Great White, I just use that for transplanting now. But with Recharge, it's got that molasses already in it. So when I'm feeding the plants, especially in veg, I'm already giving it that molasses and it's feeding those microbes within that same mix. And I'm doing that usually every other feeding. They recommend every other feeding or uh, once a week. And aggressively, seemingly, is working really well with these plants right now. Do you, do you go by their feeding chart, and if you do, do you do like a full dose, half dose, quarter dose? So yeah, I, I usually go by their feeding chart, but I start, when I first start after that 30 days, especially if I'm using soil, I start one-third strength, what they recommend usually. And then I gradually increase over time. As the plant kind of shows the signs that it's healthy and hungry and it's doing well, I'll slowly increase. And if it gives me any signs of burning, I'll back off a little bit to more half strength. And for me, again, the strains, the finicky strains I'm using, that works the best. Some of the more, like, I'd say tougher strains that I've grown, I can go full blast right out of the gate, and they are totally fine. And those ones, though, they don't seem as uh, as terpy and unique to me, but they produce really well. So this pushes and helps it yield really well, but at the same time, with the uh, the additive of the great white, I feel like 
I would rather put that energy into that terpy high quality strain than the producing strain because I'm just smoking all my butt. I'm not the type who's doing any black market stuff, anything like that. So it's more of a scenario where anything that I have when I harvest, I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to be worrying so much about quantity. I've had a lot of times with the nutrient lines where I've changed up using Green Planet at one point and I seemingly got a little bit more yield. Like I was impressed. But on the other side, I seemingly lost a little bit of that terpene profile. So I think I can't completely vouch for Humble Secret being that it's going to you know, bloom huge buds and do all this stuff. But the quality difference using that, even in comparison to Emerald Harvest, has been a huge difference. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I've been using, um, so I started off using Fox Farm, the trio. Uh, Love yeah. that, only that's super concentrated. So I had to really start with like a third or a quarter dose or a third dose yeah. to start and then kind of work my way up. Um, I think there's actually been several runs where I haven't even had to feed the plants a full dose out of a Fox Farm trio. Now I'm currently using Blue Planet Nutrients, which is completely different. And, um, I, you know, I usually start with a half dose with them. And then kind of uh, in flowering, I have been doing a full dose to, you know, d again, depending on genetics. Uh, but some some genetics need a full dose of Blue Planet Nutrients. So just knowing that there's a difference between nutrient lineups as far as what the dosage should be, um, I think is a key thing to, to take away there. Now, do you yeah. feed every... Um, every time or every other time or, or what when growing in soil? So, now, when I was growing in soil, I usually would feed every time. And it, seemingly, plants were totally cool there. I, I wouldn't do any waterings. The only time I would do straight water is later towards the flushing cycle, of course. But consistently, I would feed, you know, regular basis, no problem. Usually four times a week. I, at the time, I was using, because um, now I'm growing in cocoa, but at the time, I was using seven to ten gallon pots. So I'd only need to water, you know, or feed like three to four times a week if that, depending on the season. Hmm. And the plants never showed any stress. I had one strain at the time, um, this is Holy Girl Kush, that that one really would show some signs of uh, toxicity, but every other plant was just beautiful, immaculate. And I mean, I've used everything from Dynagro, House and Garden, Advanced Nutrients, again, Green Planet, um, Technoflora, Emerald Harvest. Like, I mean, we've tried a lot, but that's, that's what helped me to build the Growers Club, is I was like, I'm gonna be the guinea pig for this. So I need to know what the hell I'm talking about. I can't just be saying, oh, try this, try this, try that, until I try them all. And I really wanted to figure out what recipe worked well for me and my particular genetics because I have buddies who've been using Advanced for years and their stuff looks immaculate. I bring it to my setup and it, the plants don't respond the same way. They like, they become kind of general and generic, you know, as we're like the variables that come into play. You can't just say, this is the one nutrient to use. This is the one thing. If you know what your plant needs, that's key. But following a complete line, it seems like a, the the quality and the results definitely vary so i feed every other time most most of the time it's every other time but i do check the ppm of the runoff to see kind of get a, a picture of how much nutrients are in the, the medium um, so sometimes i will feed every time if the ppm is low or sometimes i'll feed every other time or there's times where i'm doing a water water feed water water feed um, so it really depends. I always check the PPM of the runoff. Do you check the runoff PPM at all? Do you have a, a PPM tester or TDS tester or a EC meter? No, I do now. At the time when I was growing soil, so I've changed to cocoa. Um, but at the time when I was growing soil, I didn't. And I was doing a lot of things kind of novice rookie style where I'm just throwing it in and hoping for good results. And the few times I did have nutrient lockouts where I was getting either salt pocket buildups, which I feel like is less common with soil compared to cocoa. But it was more of me, I feel like, putting too much in that medium and the plants just not absorbing it fast enough. And I wasn't using the microbes like I should at the time. So there was just the variables that came into play that overfeeding toxicities became a huge problem. Got it. Okay. Now so checking about... the PPMs, I, ideal. Now, I do that now with cocoa is where, like, 
you know, I do more of that water feed, water feed, where I break it down and I see that those results, again, different mediums, different treatment, so to speak, but oil or uh, some people use a peat mix, they'll call it soil. I mean, it's soil, but it's like a uh, pro mix, like a peat moss, you know, a lot of them I feel like are more absorbent and can, if they are more inert and there's nothing in the medium really, then you can go a little bit harder, but using a fox farm, like that's where it was tough, man. I should have waited and I should have slow dosed it, but I was doing every feeding consistently and that holy girl let me knew or let me know right away that it was just a no go. Now, what about pH? Do you do you, um, adjust the pH of the nutrient solution prior to feeding the plants? So usually, what I'll do is I'll put all my nutrients into the water and then I'll check the p or the pH afterwards. And with everything other than Dynagrow, was the only thing that I really didn't get it right down to where I needed to be. It was closer to like six seven with Dynagrow. Every other nutrient line I've used has been pretty much pH perfect, but it's for soil. Like it's bringing it right down to six point four, six point five. It's, I've never had it lower than that. Um, going higher dosage with the um, the golden tree, though, I noticed that does bring my pH down a little bit lower. You can use that kind of similar to a vitamin B supplement like you would with Super Thrive, where if you've got a really stressed out plant, you can higher dose that instead of a teaspoon per gallon, you can do a tablespoon per gallon for like a one-time feeding. And in that case, it's the only time the pH dropped way lower. Otherwise, I usually don't have to dial in that pH much when I'm using soil. Uh, for me, when I uh, adjust the nutrient mix, um... Normally I will, like with blue plant nutrients, I'll have to uh, adjust up. I forget about Fox Farm. I think I had to adjust up with Fox Farm, but I'll adjust the pH up in between, like roughly around 6.5 is what I like to feed in at. Um, and then I'll also pH the runoff as well, see what the pH of the runoff is because yeah, that can be different. Do you do you do that as well? or? Yeah, with again, with cocoa I do. With soil, I was, this was, uh, it's soil been probably okay. seven, eight years since I've grown in soil. It's Got been it. a while. But I, I definitely have acquaintances and, and different gromies in the club who are using soil. And, and with that process, you know, I feel like a lot of people overlook the fact that the medium is, is more alive. Being that it's soil, it's going to be what you how you treat it early on is kind of how it needs to continuously go. And especially when somebody's doing something like adding a dry amendment into it. And when they're changing the game, instead of using the liquid mineral-based nutrients, I never really went that route just because I kind of like the easy do-it-get-it-go kind of Kool-Aid style. But at the same time, like, Having your medium kind of work for you, that's where, again, using a great white or recharge or something to inoculate that root system and really get those roots working for you is going to help whatever nutrients you use to be absorbed better and taken in better. So that way it's not just like throwing in nutrients into your medium and hoping it does better. It needs to be able to absorb it more. One other thing to mention um, for me is when I mix up my nutrients, uh, what I'll do is I'll mix up the nutrients, adjust the pH, and then I'll put in microbes after the fact. Um, because I guess uh, the pH up and down will kill off microbes. It's not going to kill off all of them, but it will kill off uh, some of them. So um, it is advised to add in the microbes after pH adjusting. I didn't um, even know that, so I appreciate the tip there, man. I, I honestly didn't even know that. You know, it makes sense with the uh, acidity, trying to add that in and like, changing it up. It totally does make sense. I just, I've been really blessed to not have to deal with the pH level too much. I still mm -hmm. dial it in and check it, but only when I'm using, um, like if I'm watering, again, with, with now with the cocoa mix when I'm watering with that I'll do a plain water or water with Calmeg and I'll need to dial in that pH got so it. that's where that, that changes a little bit got it okay now um, okay so you've wa watering the plants um, you water all the way through uh, what do you do with the runoff usually I'll just let it sit there for about maybe an hour and then I'll use a shop vac and suck it all up and empty that shop vac out I don't let it sit in there too long but Especially when I'm in flower, like I don't mind the humidity level just getting up a pinch more because I'm usually struggling with the humidity in there. Here in Michigan, I'm having to like kick the humidifier on all the time. Like it's on 24-7. 
because it's fluctuating from like 30% to 60%. I try to keep it around 40-50%. So sometimes leaving those saucers with a little bit of water will help me get that, you know, room humidity right where I need it to be. Got it. Uh, for me, I um, sometimes I'll let it sit in there um, and just let it absorb up. Other times I'll go ahead and I'll shop back it up. You know, I've noticed that I think there's, you know, it equals more salt buildup if I don't suck up that, um, if I don't suck up those, that runoff. I feel like there's salt buildup and I have more problems. Maybe it's just in my head, but it just kind of seems that way. So, uh, it makes you know, sense I'm trying to get in the habit of, of sucking up that runoff more often and, you know, pushing things through and kind of, um, you know, hopefully that, that kind of clears up any problems that, that I have. Uh, but it might just be in my head. No, it makes sense. It's not like it's an ebb and flow system. You know, it's, it's, if it's just stagnant water that's sitting there that ran, potentially pulled more salts, more minerals out of your medium to the bottom and it's just sitting there, and it's stagnant, I could see that being an issue. And that's where usually I don't leave it too long. And it's depending on the season, like at the most an hour. And it, it's, uh, sometimes I have seen, again, with different mediums, it does suck back up pretty quickly. It'll go through there too fast when it's too dry, and then it just kind of absorbs back up like a sponge. I see it a little bit less with dirt or with soil in comparison to using cocoa, but it's something that I've never seen a major issue leaving it that long. It's only, I think, extended a period of time. And that's happened before when I've, I think I'm good to go and I leave the grow and I come back the next morning and I'm like, whoa, look at all this water still here. I thought it was good, but it slowly drained out. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to rush it in and out of the grow. I want to go back to nutrients real quick. One thing we didn't talk about is additives. So, you know, base nutrients, Fox Farm Trio basically has three bottles, for example. I've found that ever since I switched to LED, I've had calcium and magnesium issues, um, and I've had to supplement with CalMag. So I grew up with HID for six years, and then I've been growing with LED for about four years, four or five years now. And so I, now I supplement with CalMag. Do you supplement with CalMag, or any? do you put any other additives in there, silica, you know, so on and so forth? Yeah, I um, add right now I'm using... Um that great white and I'm using CalMag. Those are my two additives that I use. Got and then I also have the all-in-one additive, which is Golden Tree. Um, so like basically the all-in-one additive is like all of your additional micro or macronutrients, not macro, all of your additional micronutrients. It's got um, your amino acids, kelp, carbs, um, and some minerals in there too. So it's nice you can kind of work that in conjunction with your base nutrients. And then with, again, if you're using something like cocoa, I'm adding CalMag on a regular basis. I haven't had the pleasure to do soil. I will be soon actually, um, soil underneath the LED. So I haven't ran into that, but I always am adding some CalMag in because of it being cocoa for me. Do you feed CalMag every time, even when, even on your watering days, or do you only still feed CalMag in on your feeding days? I do it more on my watering days, actually. So like I'm doing um, the lower dosage recommended, so 2.5 milliliters per gallon with uh, when I'm feeding. And then when I'm doing just by itself plain water, I'll do CalMag at a full strength of like 5 milliliters per gallon. I, it kind of varies for me. Um, I'll go ahead and add it in with my normal uh, nutrients um, at 5 to 10 milliliters per gallon. I, I think my Blue Planet Nutrients CalMag goes up to 10 milliliters per gallon. Um, maybe just more watered down, I don't know. But um, on my watering days, sometimes I will add in just CalMag, but most of the time I don't. But uh, that's a question I have for the people that are watching this. Do you feed CalMag every time? Let me know in the comments section below what you do for CalMag feeding. Okay, next, uh, one thing I wanna to touch on real quick, it doesn't really revolve with feeding nutrients, but um, it relates to it, which is the flushing aspect. Do you flush it all during your grow, like mid-grow, like to flush out any salts or anything? Um, if I'm having some issues, I do. I usually don't. I, at one point I was doing that transitioning into flour, and then I've stopped doing that, and I've noticed no difference. 
Um, what I've done, though, is I've just done lower dosages of my flowering nutrients switching into flower. What I recently did, a little test basically, and it worked pretty well, is I started feeding my flowering nutrients a week before going into flower. So in veg, I started feeding the flowering nutrients, and I got zero stretch. Like I measured it, there was no stretch, not a centimeter, none. But my headbanger was yellow as hell. Got lime green and stressed out. Like really not happy. The uh, 11 roses that I'm growing, totally fine, totally great, bushy and nice. One of my plants still was not happy. So it was an experiment that I saw was good for one strain, and it helps there. But I think maybe if I would have flushed and then done that, it may have resulted a little bit better because that strain is very finicky. That headbanger is just one that, like, you got to treat it really unique. Yeah, for me, I uh, I try to avoid flushing mid-grow as much as possible. I've tried the flushing between veg and flower before. One time it worked out great. Um, and then the other two times, the next two times, unfortunately, I had, like, yellowing like two yeah. weeks into flowering and it's like oh great so worst time they have problems is you know beginning of flower mid flowering so i try to avoid flushing um as much as possible but sometimes you need to like i'm growing some plants right now which i need to do a mid flush on which it's unfortunate but sometimes you got to do what you got to do yeah um, now flushing at the end of the cycle do you flush uh before you harvest yeah so what i usually do is i feed my plant for about six to seven weeks depending on the strain i'm growing if it's an eight to nine weeker usually the furthest i go is a nine week strain once in a while if i land a 10 weeker I'll, I'll let her go but usually two weeks prior to harvest i just stop feeding nutrients completely and i'm just watering pretty heavy enough where there's a good amount of runoff but not like a crazy amount like a heavy flush you'd see a lot of people doing so you know what i've read and what i've understood over times of, of growing and reading all the different grow bibles is that the plant's going to still have about 14 days left of nutrients in the medium. So it's going to have time to eat that up. And I'd rather, instead of it having like an extra two weeks of time to eat it up after the fact, I'd rather give it that full two weeks to just eat up what it has, kind of fade out, get the color that I like, especially I love that kind of like purplish, yellow, faded look to the leaves when it's finishing. And that's where like, I don't see that unless I flush two weeks prior. Mm -hmm. And again, my flush is a little different than most people. I just start feeding plain water all the way through pH balanced water, of course, but, and that's it for two weeks. And usually my plants fade out like I want and uh, white ash, good to go. For me, usually about two weeks out um, when the trichomes are about right, I will, um, depending on the, the color of the plants, right, if it's like dark green leaves, I'll go ahead and I'll do a full flush where I basically flush out double the amount of um, water in gallons. So if I'm doing like a three-gallon grow pot, I'll put six gallons of water through the medium. And that'll help uh, get some of those nutrients out of there and help those leaves lighten up, get those chlorophyll breakdown, um, so on and so forth. And then other times, they were already be starting to be in a little natural fade a couple weeks prior. So then I'll just feed plain water uh, for the remainder of the grow, and then it'll you know continue to fade, and then it'll be ready to harvest. A yeah, I think it's so genetic-specific. I think it's so like there's never just a rule of thumb. There's like five different rules. Because when it comes to certain strains, like, you know, I've had this do si -do that was looking like it was done in seven weeks and I was feeding full strength nutrients. I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, it's just telling me, hey, I'm about done. So then I just slowly started flushing and did great. I had um, a Wi-Fi OG that was like vibrant, bright green at week eight. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So that's why I did a heavy flush. And that is exactly the result. You know, I was in getting more yellowing, more of the chlorophyll breakdown. And you start to see that plant decaying and dying like it should, like you would see outside normally hmm. in the natural environment. All right, let's uh, move on to Coco Core. That's, that's my specialty now. That's what I'm into, man. Sweet. All right, so pretty much the same same flow that we had before. So, you know, what type of cocoa do you use? So I'm a big fan of Royal Gold, and I really love their, their whole line. Uh, right now I'm using Tuper. It's just uh, cocoa, perlite, and some H-Forest minerals. 
and it's pretty much nothing in it. You know, it's, it's pretty much an inert medium. Um, the main thing for me is I was getting, you know, big bricks of the Pro Mix for a while, and I started bringing home root aphids. And that was a real headache for me because I'm like, what am I doing that is creating these aphids, man? And then I had another buddy at the grow store who's like, yeah, dude, I got root aphids. And another buddy had it. And I'm like, I haven't been to your grow. You haven't been to my grow. We're all using the same medium. We kind of all just came together and we're like, yeah, man, they're not storing this properly. Like, something's going on here. I don't know what, like, not working. So I ended up trying cocoa. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to see how it works. And for the longest time, I was getting just cheap bricks from Amazon and I wasn't liking what I was getting. Like, just wasn't wasn't the results that I heard people getting until we linked up with World Gold. And uh, they we met them at the Cups from years back. And it was really insightful on how how cocoa is sourced and how you get it in general and like even the sustainability compared to peat moss and that's really what helped me as I'm, I'm trying to even transition from mineral-based nutrients to organic nutrients for the sustainability purposes you know and mm. that was a really attractive thing and then for the watering too like you know I sometimes do need to water more often because I'm let's say I'm going to be leaving the next day so I'm going to do a heavy water in the morning and a light water at night and then I don't have to worry about it for a day or two at all. And just little variables for me that I was really attracted to. And I really liked EWC at one point, and I liked the results I got. But some of the things from cocoa, or not from soil that I preferred, kind of were uh, mixed and hybridized with using the soilless media. So that's where I switched over. And then Tuper has been great for me, man. Other than I can't ever get it. <laughs> like at the grocery store, it's always out. I think people buy the shit out of it around here. Got it. Yeah, I, um, I've been using those cheap bricks from uh, Amazon. And uh, yeah. you got to rinse them out and buffer them. And still i mean i've had issues with them um yeah. i've really only grown a cocoa a handful of times so i don't have too much experience with cocoa I, i'm i prefer soil um but i do have experience growing a cocoa and yeah those uh those bricks are filled with sodium mostly and then yeah it just it, i know people, i've issues heard they've been like scraped up off of beaches and stuff and like just sourced very poorly you know yeah yeah but um when so when do you start feeding nutrients in cocoa so i usually start after like a week I'll let the plant, especially if I'm doing a clone, like I usually use aeroponic cloners. So my roots are just straight up roots going right into the media and I don't want to like shock them directly right away. So I'll just feed uh, the first week, well not feed, I'll just water, plain pH balanced water. And then after that is when I'll start feeding and I start with third strength nutrients and work my way up week by week where then I'm to full strength if the plant needs it. If it doesn't, then I'm not going to go full strength because I do see some strains, they're vibrant green and good at like three quarter strength. So I'm like, all right, keep it at that. Like, there's no reason to, I guess I could add more potentially, but I've seen too many times where I'm burning the leaves and I'd rather just avoid that. If I don't see the plant telling me that it wants more, I'm not going to add more. And you use the same type of nutrients that you use for soil? Yep. The, okay. Again, the, the difference here is using CalMag more frequently because, you know, it's going to need it. It's totally inert. So I've been using that consistently now for like seven years, maybe eight years. It's been a while now. I, I can't even remember. I always say like been growing for 10 plus years, but longer than that at this point, 2020. So I think that uh, the difference for me, I don't notice a massive yield difference. I see people who argue about the, the quality difference or the, the terp difference, but I think the control of being able to fix a sick, a sick plant where I can maybe add more nutrients quicker or I can feed it more consistently. And the fact that, again, I'm not worried so much about overwatering that plant. Like I can go real hard with it and I'm not stressing it out too much. Yeah, for me, it, it takes about a week. I do about the same thing where it's about a week that the plant has been growing, and then I'll start feeding nutrients. I will uh, I'll feed CalMag every time, no matter what, even on my watering days. And yeah. then nutrients is usually every other. It really depends. I still do check the PPM of the runoff as well and kind of keep in that range similar to I do how I do it in soil. Now, what about pH? pH is a pretty 
pretty significant topic when it comes to cocoa core. What do you do for pH? Do you pH your nutrient solution prior to putting it in? Yeah, so I'll uh, pH my nutrient solution. You know, after I add all my, my mix to it, now I'll be adding in my groves after the fact. Appreciate that uh, <laughs> tip there. Should have been on that already. But um, so then I'll do my pH after the fact, and I 99.9% I .9 of the time need to do it because the lowest that it goes with my mix is to 6.4. And so when I'm in veg, I'll do anywhere from 5.5 to 5.8. On the high end, 6, usually I try to keep it within that 5.5 to 5.8 range. And then once I'm like midway through flower, I'll change that up closer to 6.2. From, from what I've read, it can help the phosphorus and potassium uptake a little bit more. And that's going to be, you know, again, with cocoa, it, it reacts a little bit differently. But I see, I see that kind of swelling it up or, or doing what I can to try to help those buds swell up more while still getting the benefits of feeding heavy and not overdoing it is by changing that pH. It's the only difference I've noticed for my grow is upping it to around 6.2. Do you pH the runoff as well or only the nutrient solution going in? I'll, I'll test the pH of the runoff. So I don't always do it. Like I'll do it usually once a week, and I'll check the PPM as well because that's been like – I have like straight-up PTSD over having new lockouts and just salt buildups, little pockets in there. And it's been one of those things where I've thought it was a million different issues, and it turns out that was the one problem. And it's, it, then I look back, I'm like, oh, common sense. I was feeding way too heavy or – you know, in one spot, I was just pouring it all into a single spot and let it flow through instead of evenly dispersing the nutrients. And there's just a lot of different variables when it comes, I feel like, to cocoa of it being more totally controlled by you in comparison to the soil kind of working with it. Mm. You, you got to kind of really dial in your pH. You got to make sure that, uh, you know, some people grow straight cocoa. I've done that before and I feel like it's suffocating my roots. Other people swear by it. I always make sure I have some perlite in there. I feel like just the aeration to make sure that there's some air to the roots. But then in my cocoa, I always, again, I'll add that mycorrhizae, whether I'm using great white. I usually use great white for transplanting. That's my go-to. And then I'll water with recharge. For me, I um, pH 5.8 every time. And then uh, that's kind of what I've had best results in is just pH, pH nutrient solution 5.8 every time going in. Um, I've tried to go up to 6.0. 6.2 I've gone up to before, but I've had issues, um, deficiency issues. And so um, 5.8 has just been kind of the magic thing for me. Now, uh, measuring the pH of the runoff, um, you know, at first, when I first start using it, it, it kind of equals to what I put in, you know, 5.8 going, going in, 5.8 going out. However, over time, I found that it kind of significantly drifts upwards usually. So, like, I'll put 5.8 in, and then all of a sudden I'll see, like, high sixes or even sevens, and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And so I've done the research, and, and a lot of people kind of agree that, like, with cocoa, it'll drift up. So some people, a lot of people, I guess, just ignore the runoff pH. And that's why I tell people who are grown in cocoa is to just ignore that runoff pH and just only worry about the pH going in. Um, and that's that's just me. Um, that's what I've had best luck at. So actually, I would love to hear to the viewers uh, watching this, do you pH adjust your nutrients going into cocoa? And also, do you check the runoff pH when growing in cocoa? Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts in the comment section below. Flushing, any difference with flushing for cocoa compared to soil? Same thing, really. It's the same for me. It'd definitely be the same thing. Um, I've seen people using, you know, additives like a to try to remove the minerals. I think there's like Dzyme or something by Dynagro. People will use um, certain things like that. I'm not into that. I just use straight, straight pH balanced water. Okay. Yeah, pretty much same with me. I don't, I don't, I rarely flush. Only really flush when I have problems. Um, and then I'll do that. Uh, end of the grow flush, same decision-making as when I'm growing in soil. 
and then uh, and then runoff. What do you do with the runoff for cocoa? So that too, all, same exact scenario. Usually I'll suck that off after about suck that off. Usually <laughs> I'll suck that out after an hour, <laughs> and uh, it's like you know I've seen again people let theirs sit longer. I've seen the drain to waste growers who have like uh, tubs of water damn near that it's sitting into, but. I just don't like that stagnant water that's built up with minerals. I'm too paranoid about having an issue again. PTSD from having the the lockouts, man. Like I've had times where I thought it was this, that, this, that, and it's the one issue of me just overdoing it or not paying attention that I'm the PPM's way too high in the media, like the runoff. So that that's more what I check uh, more times than the pH even for the runoff is that PPM to see him like is am I having way more coming out than what I'm putting in because that's a problem. Like the, I've done way too much in the medium, and I noticed that a lot less with cocoa than when mm. I dealt with the soil. It's rare that I have an issue like that with cocoa. And those little user-friendly things that, if you're controlling it, is is you know ideal. But if you're not controlling it, cocoa can be a major headache for those little factors where you got to dial in that pH. Um, even some nutrient lines, like you notice with Advanced, they have the cocoa version, or like cocos with um, House and Garden even too. A lot of that I feel like is pH-related, but also based on that, you're going to need more uh, calcium a lot of times in your mix. So what they're going to have formulated is going to be a little different. So sometimes getting that cocoa-specific nutrient could be easier to use than trying to you know, mess with the pH or modify things to work for cocoa. Cool. I think we covered just about everything. Anything yeah. that you can think of as far as like feeding tips or anything that you think we missed? Um, I think that, I mean, have you done any dry amendments for either? Yeah, I think dry amendments is a whole different video. Yeah, that it's would make sense. Yeah. This is more just like bottle nutrient feeding either. Yeah, pretty much. Maybe next time around we can uh, we can do a video yeah. on that. Yeah, I think the only thing to add would be, uh, you know, again, big fan of great white or recharge, something like that, to make sure that your plant's absorbing those nutrients properly. There's other options, mycos and azos and things like that. I guess it's really totally up to the viewer, but when it comes to making sure what you're putting into that plant is being absorbed properly, you definitely want that root system to be working. That's, that's key. Cool. Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on uh, to my channel and talking about feeding nutrients. Um, definitely thinks a lot of good information, especially for the new growers. I have a lot of new growers hitting me up with a lot of questions asking about feeding nutrients. And I think uh, one of the things that um, people are confused on, they think it needs to be done the same way every time. There's only one way to do it, they think. But, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. So, um, you know, experiment, try what, you know, experiment with new things and um, see what's best for you is kind of the advice I, I give to new growers. So any final words for uh, for this? If you want to check out some more advanced growing stuff, check out our last live stream. And we got into a lot of Q&A that was stuff that we normally don't touch on because it's a little bit more uh, advanced for some people, you know? Yep. I will leave a link to Rob's YouTube channel in the description section below. Um, go down there, uh, click on his channel, subscribe, and uh, let him know that Mr. Groat sent you. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much for tuning into the first episode of Garden Talk. Hope you follow along as we continue on to more episodes. If you're watching on a platform where there is a spot to leave feedback, please do. And I will leave it at that. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, peace.